ESPN Radio. I've never seen the Laker team lose all these close games in the fourth quarter. We, we couldn't win. They're an atrocity, <laughs> and it starts from the top down. It starts from Jeannie Buss allowing Linda Rambis to have power. It goes from there and disintegrates down to Rob Palenka. I know we have to talk about them because it's LeBron James. We shouldn't be talking about no, them. No, at all. I've been trying to tell you guys, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Believe them. ESPN Radio. Well, Jay Will may think we shouldn't be talking about the Lakers, but we're going to do just that. It's ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can also join the conversation with us, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776, or hit us up on Twitter, AmberW790 or hdouglas 80. Three. So the Lakers drama, Harry, continues. And I'm guessing it's not over anytime soon because we're going to be talking about the Lakers all offseason. Apparently, we're going to be talking about the Lakers this postseason, even though the Lakers are not actually involved in this postseason. The NBA play-in begins tonight. The Los Angeles Lakers are going to be home watching the play-in. But after they fired Frank Vogel, the head coach, Russell Westbrook had his exit interview. And he was pretty strong in his comments about the lack of connection between him and his former coach. He said, I'm not sure what the issue was with me, and I'm not sure why, but I can't really give you an answer to why we really never connected. So apparently there were issues there between Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel. He had said that he felt like he had to prove himself uh, year in and year out. And I guess as the highest paid player on the team, he didn't want to have to prove himself any longer or prove himself to Frank Vogel. Brian Windhorse, ESPN's NBA insider on the Hoop Collective podcast uh, or host of the Hoop Collective podcast. But when Windhorse was on Greeny, he spoke on this topic. He said that Westbrook's comments are frankly delusional. If you're a coach and you have the real reality that you may have to you may have to deal with Westbrook for next season because getting out of that is not going to be simple. And you just heard the way Westbrook talked about his coach and the way Westbrook talked about wanting to play. I wouldn't want to be there if he's there. I'd be like, I want him out of there. And, you know, frankly, I thought Frank Vogel was more supportive of Westbrook than he should have been. He stuck with him longer. He stuck. He kept him in the starting lineup longer. If you want to criticize Frank Vogel for stuff that he did this year, He was too supportive of Westbrook. And here we have Westbrook talking about how he wasn't. I mean, it's borderline delusional. And I can't come into a situation when I've got a really good job right now or other options and try to deal with a player who is delusional like this. Wendy is fired up, Harry Douglas. He is fired (laughs) up about Westbrook's comments. He's delusional. He's delusional. (laughs) It does feel like piling on Frank Vogel on the way out. And I do think that Westbrook has probably gotten a lot of blame where, frankly, sometimes it was undeserved or overstated in terms of the Lakers troubles this season. And so now he's pointing the finger at somebody else and he's giving them the same blame that that I think he's received And he's been very uh, forthcoming, I guess, about his lack of relationship with him and Frank Vogel. 
Yeah, here's something I thought I heard too much from the Lakers this season, uh, especially players, mostly players, is excuses. Excuses why this didn't work. Excuses why this didn't happen. Excuses here and there. I heard it too much. I, I, didn't, I didn't see much of accountability for things that transpired this season. I'd be the first to say, uh, I thought Russell Westbrook and his mindset and the way he didn't want to adapt to the Lakers and the way they play and LeBron being ball dominant and that whole debacle. At his age, it's going to be hard to try to get him to change his mindset. But what's best for that team is for him to open up and and be an open book and see, hey, you know what, where do I need to adjust my game so the overall success for this team can be better? Now, a lot of people talk about his numbers. His numbers wasn't that bad here and there. But listen, sometimes numbers can be deceiving. We watch games and we've seen the games and what transpired out there on the court. He needed to figure out how to make things work. And not just him. Somebody that I put a little bit on Frank Vogel as well, but I'm not going to sit here and say everything was Frank Vogel's fault, everything was Westbrook's fault. I think it was so much blame to go around to so many people within that organization uh, to the point to where you hear Westbrook talking in, 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 that, in, that, in those clips, and it's, it's, a, it's just a no-brainer why did he make the playoffs or even make the play-in game, right? Because you, it's so much friction and no one's on the same page. Uh, no one understands what's going on and what's transpiring, so now they're all at home watching the play-in games tonight, tomorrow, and then they're going to be watching the playoffs. It does seem like, right, it does seem like a blame game from this entire Lakers squad. And uh, and Frank Vogel is the latest, and, and frankly, he feels a bit like the fall guy um, when it comes to the situation with the Los Angeles Lakers. And other coaches around the league are seeing that. So the Lakers have to hire another coach, and they're seeing how Frank Vogel is being treated here on the way out. Bobby Marks, ESPN's, NBA front office insider was on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. He talked about that. It's a year-to-year type job. That's how I look at it. It's a lot different going to, you know, some of these other places that have draft picks and cap flexibility or young players that you have like a, you know, a kind of a, a long runway to develop. Um, but here you're, you're kind of on it. You're on a win now team, but as I said, like a lot of cracks in the foundation. When you have three players that are earning, you know, $130 million, you are not relying on draft picks or younger players. It's, you know, if you're in a win-now mode here. So it's one of 30. It's L.A., so there's the appeal there. I think it will be interesting as far as how much security that person gets. That was kind of the big turnoff with Ty Lue, um, you know, three years ago, was that they weren't going to give him one of these long-term packs. Yeah, that was the big thing with Ty Lue. And I think Ty Lue has said people said that I didn't want to, you know, be out there with LeBron again and whatever. And it it was a a issue with the contract negotiations that broke down because they wouldn't provide that security. It's interesting, Harry, uh, Harry, because obviously you heard Bobby say there that it's one of 30 in terms of jobs and it's the Lakers. And so, of course, it's always going to be attractive in terms of a coaching destination. But when you're talking about guys around the league who already have coaching jobs, which is reportedly what the Lakers are doing targeting potential candidates so far you're hearing that they have desire for these coaches that are already coaches in other places if you already got one of 30 then why are you going to necessarily leave your current position to go down to LA or go over to LA when you can see the cracks in the foundation to Bobby Marx's point well it's why would you leave uh I won't say greatness because it's not like 
these these coaches are winning championships. But why would you leave a good relationship to go to dysfunction? Right. Basically, what? Well, why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. Make that make sense to me, Amber, because I don't think it makes sense at all. And everything that we're seeing from the Lakers organization this year, and I will say even last year, has been nothing but dysfunction from the top down. Absolutely. And when we're talking about yesterday, we were talking about how the Lakers are reportedly talk, uh, targeting Nick Nurse. And I'm like, why would, you know, he, he won a championship not long ago in Toronto. I, would he be that attracted to going to the Lakers? Because the Raptors are building a decent thing up there. And you got mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam, your coaching, who's a young star. And you just don't have the same level of dysfunction. And yet you're not far removed from a championship yourself. So why would you bother to do that? And that's what the question is going to be for these NBA coaches. Now, Quinn Snyder is one of those NBA NBA coaches that reportedly the Los Angeles Lakers are eyeing. But what's interesting is now there's this report out there from the LA Times where they he is re, the LA Times is reporting that the Jazz coach is less interested in leaving Utah after observing how the team has handled the firing of Frank Vogel. And Harry, I wonder, you know, because the dysfunction seems to perpetuate here where the way they handled this firing, the way Frank Vogel came out and he has a microphone in front of him and people are asking him because there's this Woj tweet out there about how the Lakers plan to fire him and people are asking him about it. And he says, nobody's spoken to me yet. And it's a bad way to handle it. And now Russell Westbrook is out here and he's, you know, he's, he's flowing, throwing flames at yeah. the situation in his exit interview with Vogel. I mean, none of that looks good, I would imagine, to a coach that already has a good job in Utah. Yeah, but here's the bad part about Quinn Snyder is that he was on the Lakers staff 2011-2012 season, and he doesn't want that job. So he's already been there once, and yes, he has a background. Quinn Snyder played at Duke 1985 and 1989 with three Final Fours with the Duke Blue Devils. So yes, he played the game, and he understands and knows what he's talking about. But he's he's been the coach uh, where he is right now since 2014, and I, I just don't see why he would leave uh, Utah and, and go to L.A. to dysfunction. I, I, I just don't understand that and be miserable versus, you know, being happy and working to try to build something with, with two players and Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell. I, I don't understand why people would think that would happen. So I commend them for not wanting to do it. Well, and I mean, and we'll see, you know, how, how accurate this is, but I guess, you know, it makes sense. It would stand to reason that these guys that already have good coaching jobs are looking at the situation in LA. And even though you have a LeBron James and Anthony Davis on that team, you're thinking, Hey, there's too much dysfunction in that organization right now for me to leave where I am. Another coach that's being rumored right now is LeBron James. There's reports out there that he reportedly wants Mark Jackson as the next head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. Now your brother played for Mark Jackson. Mm-hmm. So give me some insider info on Mark Jackson as a coach. Yeah, I asked my brother, man, give me some traits and give me some things about Mark Jackson that made him a great uh, coach. And he said he's a player's coach. He said, we'll always put you in a, in a position to succeed as a player. So you could talk to him about anything and he's going to be honest with you and not tell you anything that you want to hear. He's going to tell you what you need to hear. Um, he said he played the game and he's been in certain situations. He's big on respect. Uh, people respecting one another as a person and as teammates. Uh, he say Coach Jackson basically will make you play hard for him. Uh, that, that, that's, that's how dynamic he is. He say he believe and trust in you, and he'll make you believe and trust in yourself even in your down moments when you feel like you're not the person 
uh, to get the job done if that ever come, come, comes about. Uh, he said he's a coach that always has faith no matter what the situation is. Sound like pretty good damn traits to me as a coach. Yeah, so a players obviously like Mark Jackson, and that's probably one reason that LeBron uh, would sign up for that. It'll be interesting to see who the Lakers end up hiring moving forward because maybe that'll have something to do with what kind of extension, if any, LeBron James signed this offseason because he's only got one year left on that deal. So the Lakers oh. have to do something here probably to appease LeBron James. Coming up next. Who has the most at stake in the upcoming NBA playoffs? We'll discuss. This is ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas. ESPN Radio. NBA postseason is upon us. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. We're going to talk about who's going to be saved, Harry Douglas, speaking of saving, by this postseason in the NBA because there are some people with some pressure this postseason as the play-in tournament begins tonight in the NBA. Cavs-Nets is at 7 p.m. Clippers-Timberwolves tips off at 9.30 p.m. So if I was to make you choose who has the most pressure, it could be player, front office, coach, kind of anybody in the NBA as we head into this postseason. Who do you think has the most pressure on them right now? Oh, pressure? That's easy. That's going to be James Harden. Uh, and, I, and I chose James, Har James Harden because of the things that we see trans transpire with, with James Harden throughout his career when it came to the playoffs. He's been phenomenal throughout the regular season, but when it's, when it's come down to the playoffs, he hasn't been able to get it done. Uh, a guy who went from Houston to Brooklyn, found his way getting out of Brooklyn. Now he's in Philly. He hasn't lived up to the expectations since come, uh, arriving in Philly. And now the playoffs are about to start. And they're going against the Toronto Raptors team, who is very, very long and length, uh, lengthwise and can, can, can pose some challenges uh, on the defensive end when it comes to defending James Harden uh, and the Sixers. So James Harden, going, he's going to have to get it done. He's going to have to get it done because he wanted to go to Philly and they made the trade and Daryl Morey backed him up. So I think the most pressure is on James Harden. I think James Harden is an obvious answer here, and I agree with you fully that there's a lot of pressure on James Harden because he's finally where, reportedly, he wants to be, right? And it's like, yeah, you forced your way out of another team, and now you're here, and so at some point you have to do the winning to back this up, and you're running out of excuses. But I wonder, Harry, do you think, because this is something I don't think people are talking about, how much pressure do you think is on Joel Embiid? Because with Joel Embiid, you're talking about a phenomenal player. He's beloved mm -hmm. in Philly, an MVP candidate this season, but he still hasn't accomplished a ton when we talk about the high standards that's applied to superstars. I mean, he doesn't have the rings. If He may get passed over here for his first MVP award, so he may not even get that this season. He's got the scoring title this season, but when is Joel Embiid winning an actual title? And at some point here, does the pressure ramp up on him because he does have James Harden next to him now. I'm going to say no because we know what Joel Embiid is going to give us every night he's out there on the, on the basketball court. He's going to give us potentially 30. If not 30, he's going to give us 25-plus. He's going to give you 10 rebounds. He's going to go to the free throw line 12 to 14 times. We know that's what he's going to do. He's going to be a dominant force inside. He can play facing the basket with his back to the basket. He can take you out to the three-point line. We, I'm not worried about Joel Embiid at all. The person I'm worried about is James Harden because one thing we've learned throughout basketball over the years is that 
hey, you just can't do it with a Batman. You need a Batman and a Robin. And so far, that Robin to, uh, to Joel Embiid's Batman, James Harden, has not been that guy. And then when you look, uh, look at the totality of everything, James Harden hasn't been that in his career throughout the playoffs. So I don't see any pressure on Joel Embiid because I know he's going to bring his A game uh, night in and night out. James Harden's who I'm worried about because he doesn't look up to par like he has looked in the past uh, during the regular season, nor is he moving like that. Uh, I think some a stat – I think I think Himbo had a stat on on get up. I think James Harden in the last seven games had has I think just two more field goals than uh, turnovers. That is terrible for a guy that you're bringing in to be your Robin. That's terrible. Absolutely, and there's a ton of expectations there. So I mentioned Joel Embiid because as phenomenal as he has been, of course he hasn't won the rings yet. Another guy who hasn't won a ring yet, who is a future Hall of Famer and has been in the league a whole lot longer than mm-hmm. Embiid. So his time is running short is Chris Paul. The Suns are 64-18 and 18 this season. They are the best team in the NBA. Like, no one is trying to argue otherwise. If they don't get it done this season, then I don't know what season they're getting it done during. Harry, how much pressure is on CP3? Could he be a name on this list? See, I don't think CP has pressure. I think he has the most at stake though. I, I truly do because uh, you look at this team, how it's constructed, but you look at the history of Chris Paul of being on teams, right? When he was with the Clippers, they blew a 3-1 lead. When he was with the Rockets, they blew a 3-2 lead to the Warriors. They blew a 2-0 lead last year in the, in the finals to the Milwaukee Bucks. So for Chris Paul, I don't think it's pressure. I just think he has more at stake because this is the best team I think Chris Paul has been on in his entire uh, career. And I think they have the best chance to win the championship this year. You look at the West. The West is not deep like it used to be. Uh, and I just think they're the most complete team when you look at the Phoenix Suns. So I think Chris Paul has the most at stake of everyone. Because, listen, if they don't win it, guess what Chris Paul is going to be? Arguably one of the best point guards, if not the uh, – the, arguably one of the best the best point guard to ever play the game in NBA history, right? So he's still going to be that. So – that's not going anywhere. So I yeah, think his, he has his more at stake. Is, he, he's the unusual player in the NBA where everybody recognizes his greatness even without the rings, which is not something that most people are willing to do when we talk about NBA players. I would say the other player, if we're talking players with pressure here, is probably Kyrie Irving because he's been a lightning rod, uh, frankly, since joining this Brooklyn Nets team. KD pairs up with Kyrie, and Kyrie has not always been there to help KD for a multitude of reasons. And then, of course, the vaccine mandate stuff that took place this season and Kyrie hasn't always been effective even when he has been out there and healthy. So I think there's probably a lot of pressure this postseason on Kyrie and that Brooklyn Nets squad uh, outside of players. We could talk about, you know, a Doc Rivers or a Daryl Morey. I mean, oh, there are yes. certainly some non-players, I think, that have some serious pressure on them and, and maybe some job security issues uh, as we head into this postseason. But coming up next, we'll give you the biggest key for each team playing tonight in the NBA. NBA play-in tournament. That's next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Every April 15th, Harry, is a special day in baseball. But this year, it's the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson shattering the color barrier and setting the stage for momentous change in society. 
Robinson continued to fight for equality and justice well after his Hall of Fame career. Today, a legendary civil rights leader recounts how he found out that Robinson chose him to be a profound honor and daunting challenge, part of our series Black History Always. Richard called me before his body was cold. He said, Jesse, are you sitting down? I said, yes. Jack just died. He died at the uh, hospital this morning. And um, he wants you to speak his funeral. I just said to my wife, I screamed, really. Jack is dead. Jack is dead. Today we must balance the tears of sorrow with the tears of joy. Mix the bitter with the sweet, death and life. Jackie, as a figure in history, was a rock in the water, creating concentric circles and ripples of new possibility. He's a frame of reference for justice, for decency, for racial progress, for challenges, and for courage. He is a landmark. Jackie's impact on racial justice in America, profound. His suffering to make it happen. Jackie was a suffering servant. I mean, very few people could have suffered the way he suffered. The pain he took, the, the licks he took, uh, the humiliation he took. I told Rachel many times how hard it was to take being called by your teammates, threats to his wife and his family. He, he endured. He endured. He was a man with integrity, strength, and ability. He's all to make people better. Segregation is bad because it creates walls. Jackie challenged the wall. He began to move the wall to expand our consciousness as to what was possible. Jackie changed culture. The Supreme Court changed the law. Champions win ball games. They hit the home run. They run touchdown. They get through the people, put them on their shoulders. Heroes put people on their shoulders. Jackie put the nation on his shoulders. He put on born shirt on, on, on his shoulders. He's a hero. He was medicine. He was immunized by God from catching the diseases that he fought. The Lord's arms of protection enabled him to go through dangers seen and unseen. And he had the capacity to wear glory with grace. At age 80, Reverend Jesse Jackson maintains a busy schedule for his Rainbow Push Coalition. He's overcome stays in the hospital and in rehab last fall after contracting COVID that aggravated his Parkinson's disease. Please join us again tomorrow as we count down to April 15th with another firsthand reflection in our series, Jackie to Me. So an unbelievable story of perseverance. And there are some NBA teams tonight who are going to try to persevere. A much less serious conversation, Harry Douglas, but one we should have nevertheless because the Cavs and the Nets will tip off the play-in tournament tonight. That is a 7 p.m. tip-off. The Clippers and Timberwolves will tip off at 9.30 p.m. So let's talk first about this Eastern Conference matchup, Cavs and Nets. How does Harry Douglas see this going? What is the key to this matchup? 
Ooh, I'm going to go with both teams. I'm going to go for the Nets. I think play defense, number one. They have not played any defense. They've been allergic to it. This is the time that you might want to play. they got to rebound the basketball and the supporting cast of the Brooklyn Nets. They have to make their open shots because we know that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they're going to see double teams. For the Cavs, you got to be able to shoot the three ball because we know the Nets are going to score points. Second chance points. Try to get on the boards. Darius Garland has to be phenomenal tonight and can you outscore the Brooklyn Nets that that's that's what I have for him I how do I see it going I got the Brooklyn Nets in this one I think most people probably have the Brooklyn Nets in this one an interesting matchup for two teams with the exact same record they entered the season with wildly different expectations oh, though yes. and because of the names on the roster let's be honest that is why everybody has the Brooklyn Nets I mean we had on Aaron Goldhammer earlier in the show today if you miss any of the show you can always check on out the podcast on the ESPN app and he said that he thinks frankly the Nets are a bit overrated compared you know seemingly based on what they've done this season and the inconsistencies that they have had all season. And like you said, the defensive troubles that they've had this season as well, where the Cavs have been a bit disrespected and overlooked because they are a young team that nobody expected to be in this situation. Whereas the Nets were supposed to be in, you know, the Eastern conference fight, like they were supposed to be the top seed for them to be in a play in is a huge letdown for that Nets team. So it'll be an interesting matchup between these two teams. I just think though, that star power, even after I said all of that, I have a hard time overcoming the names on that Brooklyn Nets roster. I have a hard time getting past any roster with Kevin Durant on it and ever betting against that roster, even though I've been really impressed with what the Cavs have done this season. What they say in church, no lies detected. <laughs> it's true. I mean, listen, uh, the, the Cavs, if they, if they can get this done, uh, then you know I'll, I'll start believing. But right now, I just think it's probably – coming a little bit too soon for that Cleveland team, but it's still a, a very bright future there in Cleveland with, with that young squad. So let's talk now about the Western Conference matchup. Maybe this one a little less cut and dry to most people. Certainly Vegas thinks this one is, is less cut and dry. I think the Nets are like an eight-point favorite in, in that game tonight. Clippers-Timberwolves is supposed to be a little bit closer. Uh, Timberwolves the favorite in this matchup. Again, a 9.30 p.m. tip-off. What do you, th- what, how do you, let's, let's start here. How do you see the disparity in experiencing in experience mattering here for this Clippers team that does have the playoff experience, but does not have Kawhi Leonard? Well, I, I think defensively they're so good. And, and, and like our guest said earlier, they're so long lengthwise that they can guard a lot of different people uh, with that length. But I think, number one, they're going to have to try to shut down Anthony Edwards. I think that's very, very important because I think that's the, that's the robbing to the Batman of uh, Carr Anthony Towns. They are 11th defensively in points given up during the regular season. Second thing I think is important for this Clippers team is that you do have a guy named Paul George that you can lean on, right? He has to start fast and not only start fast, he has to finish this game. And the, but then a guy that Ty Lue knows very well, do not let Pat Beverly get into your head. That's what this Clipper team's has to, uh, team has to understand. And then Reggie Jackson, he struggled down the stretch of the regular season. He has to be phenomenal. Now, the Pat Be- Beverly thing and Reggie Jackson, that goes hand-in-hand hand because if Reggie Jackson starts struggling, we know the antics that Pat Beverly are going to get us, and I'm going to enjoy watching them. Uh, now, when you look at the Minnesota Timberwolves, listen, Anthony Edwards, this is your first playoff series. You have to calm down. Don't go out there and try to be Superman. I think Carl Anthony Towns, he's going to be himself. And then you got to play defense. This team has been lacking defensively as well. Uh, but 
Anthony Edwards has to control his emotions and he has to be efficient, right? And then Malik Beasley, um, I think he has to he has to show up and give them a spark. He he has to. I, I don't think it's just going to be those two, Anthony Edwards and Cat. Malik Beasley has to show up and, and, and give his input as well. I do think Pat Beverly is going to have to do his magic to get the rest of his squad to kind of calm down with that experience that he has and that he brings to that team because it is such a big night and and they are embarking on such a task here uh, for that Timberwolves team. So I think that it'll be an interesting matchup, certainly one that I think most people probably think is less cut and dry than the one mm-hmm. happening in the Eastern Conference. But you never know. Maybe the Cavs will surprise us tonight. So, again, the play-in tournament, Cavs, Nets, 7 p.m. tip-off, Clippers, Timberwolves, 9.30 p.m. tip-off. Coming up next, if you're struggling as a professional athlete and are a family to a new city, then it might be smart not to talk smack to said city. We'll explain next. This is ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. MRI on Monday confirmed that Mavericks superstar Luka Doncic suffered a left calf strain in the regular season finale. The team has announced Terry Douglas. So no timetable has been set for Doncic's recovery. The Mavs, though, have not officially ruled him out for Saturday's uh, matchup against the Utah Jazz. Game one in that series kicks off on Saturday. Jason Kidd said if he's able to go out and put on his shoes, then he's going to go. If he can't, then we're not going to put him in a situation to jeopardize it and make things worse. Do the Mavs stand a chance against the Jazz if Luka can't play? Lord, no. But let me say this. The calf calf strain is, I think – you have to be more cautious than you probably want to just because of the things that transpired with Kevin Durant um, and his Achilles injury and, and, and a lot of other people after him. So you have to take it more seriously than you probably would before that happened just because you don't want to – you don't want to further have things lingering with Luka or you don't want him to go out there and, and mess up something else in his Achilles because of the calf. And listen, it's crazy how the human body works – but I don't think so. They have a chance at all. But I do like what I've seen from from Jalen Brunson. Dorian Finney-Smith has been good this year. And Spencer Dinwiddie uh, coming off the bench. But I, I think they need Luka because Luka does everything for them. Like he's a walking tri- triple-double literally. I think Spencer Dinwiddie is an undervalued player, and obviously yeah. he's going to get the start if Luka can't go, but he ain't Luka. I, and that's not a knock on Spencer Dinwiddie, but Luka Thanks. Doncic is just that amazing. Uh, Dinwiddie would start. He's averaged almost 16 points, uh, almost four assists in 23 games for the Mavs, primarily, of course, serving as a sixth man uh, since being acquired as part of that Chris Tapp's Porzingis trade uh, with the Wizards. So he would be asked to do a lot if Luka is not able to go. And Dinwiddie knows that. He did say, I know my usage would go up. It's a team effort. I mean, he said all the right things, you know, next man up. I just don't think that the Mavs have enough outside of Luka to get this done. If Luca's not out there against a good Utah jazz team, and I know we pile on Utah because they're the team that always underperforms in the playoffs, but we're talking about the first round. It's a good Utah jazz team. I, I just don't have much hope for this Dallas Mavericks team. Luca is averaging 28, nine re- rebounds and eight assists. Where's that going to come from? If he's not on the court, I don't see where, uh, I, I don't think they have a chance at all. If he doesn't play. 
Yeah, they, I, I, I have a hard time believing that they do. This isn't the Grizzlies without John Morant. Somehow they've been able to do that. This isn't the Correct. Suns when Devin Booker has been missing. Somehow they've been able to keep afloat as well. This Dallas Mavericks loss feels like a huge loss. ESPN Radio. Matlack on the ones and twos today, having Woo! some fun with us down the stretch here on ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas hanging out with you. We are taking you up until 7 o'clock Eastern when the NBA play-in games will begin. ESPN Radio is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can always tweet to me and Harry at AmberW790 at HDouglas83. We had a lot of help on today's show. We were previewing all of those play-in games in the NBA. We were also, of course, talking some NFL because that's what we do here at ESPN Radio. Jordan Reed helped us out with that, ESPN's NFL draft analyst. Ryan Rucco joined us from the Yes Network. He also does play-by-play for ESPN. He talked all thing Brooklyn Nets with us. Aaron Goldhammer, uh, he gave us the Cleveland Cavs perspective on that matchup this evening. ESPN Cleveland, you also, of course, hear him on Sundays here on ESPN Radio alongside Harry Douglas. The Cavs and Nets tip off again at 7 p.m. Eastern. Andrew Greif joined us from the L.A. Times. He is their Clippers writer. And Chris Hines gave us the Timberwolves perspective. He works for the Minneapolis Star Tribune Clippers Timberwolves. That is a 9.30 p.m. tip off. And now it is time to go three and out. Sometimes it's the worst. Sometimes it's the best. Either way, we'll get you straight with everything you need to know. This is Three and Out. Harry Douglas, the Atlanta dream or living the dream. That is your WNBA team. Harry Douglas is in Atlanta, obviously played for the Falcons to set up his after NFL life in Atlanta as well. And the Atlanta dream traded up last week to acquire the top overall pick in the 2022 WNBA draft. They selected Kentucky guard Ryan Howard at number one on Monday night in New York City. Are you excited for your squad? Yes, I am. Now, the only bad thing about Ryan uh, Howard is that she went to Kentucky, but I can, can forgive her <laughs> because got, she, will now, she will now be in Atlanta, and I love supporting the women's game. Now, this young lady from three in her career never shot below 37%. Field goal percentage overall, she never shot below 43%. So I'm looking forward to seeing that efficiency here in Atlanta for the Atlanta Dream. The six foot two Howard uh, was the SEC player of the year as a sophomore and as a junior. She averaged over 20 points, uh, almost seven and a half boards during her senior season, uh, leading the Wildcats in points, rebounds, three pointers, steals. And blocks and the only other SEC player to do that over the last 20 seasons was Mississippi State's Tan White. So an unbelievable player goes to the dream at the top of the WNBA draft. I forgive her for going to Kentucky. I I forgive you. You have to overlook that. Miss Howard, I forgive you. That's the Louisville in you coming out. Phillies' Alec Bohm apologized for choice words after errors. errors. Now, he was making... Uh, his second and third errors in a 5-4 win versus the Mets. And cameras caught the third baseman saying some choice words that <laughs> I cannot say here on ESPN <laughs> Radio without losing my job. 
He said that he didn't mean any offense towards the team or to the city of Philadelphia. Except for Harry, the choice words were very much directed at Philadelphia. I'll clean it up a little bit. He said, I bleeping hate this place, or so it appeared, if you can read lips, which I can't even do well, but I even knew what he was saying. We all knew what he was saying on camera. He went on to say, I didn't mean to offend Philadelphia. He said, do I mean it? No. It's frustrating. It was a frustrating night for me. Obviously, I made a few mistakes on the field. Look, these people, these fans, they just want to win. You heard it. We come back. They're great. I'm just sorry to them. I don't mean that. I don't know how much time you've spent in Philadelphia, Harry Douglas, but that ain't the market to anger that fan base. Well, I'll say this. Philadelphia is not made for the week either. That's why I say James Harden better get it together in Philly or they're going to be booing him soon in the playoffs. But it's funny, man, because this young man was making mistakes and uh, he, he wanted to do what he could for his ball club. And I, I don't think he really meant what he said. I, th- I thought he just got caught up in the moment. It was like, man, I hate it here. And we never know. He could be saying, I hate it here because, you know, I hate making these errors here. You never know. I'm going to give mm-hmm. him the benefit of the doubt, even though he admitted mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, that doesn't seem like what he was saying. And listen, uh, they were probably hating you be there in that moment as well since you were out there <laughs> making the errors. So maybe it's something... That both, <laughs> that both him and Philadelphia can agree. Got on. batteries thrown at me. Another Philly's thing that we can week. all another thing that we can all agree on is how annoying uh, telemarketers are, right? And and these uh, these robo calls that we all get now. These robo texts it's out of control. By the way, the texting on my cell phone with these robo texts. A Texas man won a seventy five thousand won seventy five thousand dollars after tracking down and suing telemarketers over illegal robocalls. Dan Graham, a financial accountant who splits his time between Dallas and Austin and Texas, told um, reporters that he had won $75,000 in court decisions since launching a protracted effort to find and sue the companies behind intrusive telemarketing calls. I applaud this effort. I hate robocalls, Harry Douglas, and these robotechs need to get out of my life. I'm trying to figure out how does he win that case, though? Because uh, he was able to track them down and go after them for, I'm sure there's all sorts of laws. I mean, it's, you know, it's civil court. I'm sure there's all sorts of laws in Texas that they had violated with their robo calls. So he ends up winning some money there. Uh, I wouldn't mind some of that money. Uh, again, the robo out of control. Up next, I also wouldn't mind listening to Spain and Fitz. This has been ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Harry Douglas.